amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Setlist, the music business podcast from CMU. This week, how a 1980s Prince photo impacts on AI. Welcome to Setlist, the music business podcast from CMU. I'm Andy Malt. With me is Chris. Who is it? Chris Cook. Hello, Chris. I was not expecting such an <laughs> avant-garde introduction. Hello there. I wasn't either. No. <laughs> it took us well. both by surprise. <laughs> As ever, we're going to take a look back at some of the biggest and most interesting music industry news stories of the last week. A week when TikTok sued the US state of Montana. It did indeed. We're recording this podcast mm. on Thursday afternoon. As of now, Montana is the only American state to have been sued by TikTok. But I mean, now they're doing it. Who knows? Maybe by the end of the week, everybody in America will have been sued by TikTok. <laughs> Although we should probably stress, there was a specific reason why TikTok picked the state of Montana and the 78 people who live there. It's a very low populated state, isn't it, Montana? I think more people probably live in Leytonstone than live in Montana. But anyway, sorry to the people of Montana. Why have TikTok sued Montana? Why has that happened this week? Uh, they just don't like them. <laughs> oh, no, uh, it's because Montana banned TikTok. Or yes. passed legislation that will ban TikTok in the state of Montana for the four people who live there. So last month, the lawmakers of Montana said, TikTok is evil. We will Just ban it. Just going to look up population. <laughs> more than four. I'm going for more than four. I reckon, I don't know, <laughs> 800,000. I don't know. Anyway. Um, it's more than the, that. <laughs> the point is that the lawmakers of Montana which are more than uh, you'd think. Uh, the lawmakers... 1.1 million. There you go. 1.1 million people. I wasn't that people. far off, was I? It's loads. The lawmakers of Montana last month passed this law that says that from the start of next year, you will not be allowed to download or distribute the TikTok app in the state of Montana unless, of course, you've got a VPN. I don't even know if they can implement something like that on a state level. Who knows? But it became law proper even though it's not actually going to go to a force till next year, but it was properly signed into law by the governor of Montana earlier this month. That prompted TikTok to sue because, and we cannot stress this enough, it's clearly, says TikTok, we're not, we have no opinion on this. If the 1.1 million people in Montana want to block TikTok, block it for all I care. Ban it, outlaw it, I don't care. But TikTok would like you to know that that is a unforgivable assault on the First Amendment rights of the citizens of Montana, and therefore the state does not have the right to implement that ban, says TikTok in a lawsuit that it filed last week. Also, some TikTok creators filed a lawsuit as well. TikTok creators who live in Montana, I should stress. So we now have two lawsuits going through saying you can't do that as a state. You've got to get rid of the ban. And the Attorney General's Office of the state of Montana said, bring it on, basically. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but that was basically what they said. This, of course, all relates to the much previously discussed, I am sure, 
on Setlist. We've definitely written about it a lot in the CMU Daily. All of the concerns that the Chinese government have access to TikTok user data because TikTok's owned by ByteDance, so it's a China-based company. TikTok denies that, but all the politicians of the world are convinced that when you use TikTok, just having the app installed on your phone, the Chinese government are monitoring your every move, and that's terrible, and the people of Montana will no longer be monitored by the Chinese government as of next year, assuming this ban goes into law, which I suspect it won't. But anyway, that was the development this week. But it doesn't matter, does it? Because, I mean, hardly anyone is in Montana. And presumably those... What do they call the people of Montana? There was a quote from the governor that had it. The Montananans? The Montanians? Montanians? Montanians, surely. Montanians? The people of Montana. I am sure the people of Montana... Who Montanans maybe want to use TikTok? I don't know. Assuming it's even that as well. (laughs) No, assuming we don't really care. Assuming it is possible to block an app from being downloaded from the Apple or Google app stores, the Android app store, I should say, on a state by state basis, even if it's possible to do that based on IP address, um, you know, VPNs get past all of these things, don't they? So it's all a bit of an irrelevance, really, which is why. It being a bit of an irrelevance, we're not actually talking about that on this week's podcast. No. We could talk about the western half of Montana, which contains numerous mountain ranges. Does it? Or the eastern half, which is characterised by western prairie terrain and badlands. It's smaller mountain ranges found throughout the state. This is why no one lives there. It's uninhabitable. <laughs> I am sure TikTok is swimming with fantastic videos of the wonderful landscape uploaded by those five Montana-based TikTok people who have gone legal. But I've already said we're not talking about that on this week's podcast, which means what I I think we should make this a travel podcast and talk about Montana. It looks lovely. (laughs) Given that we... (laughs) I'm going to go and look at some TikToks of it. I know nothing about Montana and you know... I still can. ...the the seven sentences that you've just read on Wikipedia. I don't think we're really qualified (laughs) to do a whole podcast on Montana. We are qualified to talk about TikTok bans, but we're not even going to do that because none of this is what we're here to talk about this week. I'll tell you something else. The state has a <laughs> reputation for a libertarian bent in popular opinion and policy, which does not chime with this TikTok ban. It does not. That's how much they hate China. Libertarians Montana. of Montana, you should be standing up for free speech on that First Amendment, but not on this podcast, because it's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> Despite my best efforts, no. Later on, we'll be discussing Universal getting into bed with an AI music company, But first, the music industry earlier this month welcomed a US Supreme Court ruling on a long-running copyright dispute between the Andy Warhol Foundation and the photographer Lynn Goldsmith. This is all over artworks produced by Warhol in the 1980s that used a photo of Prince taken by Goldsmith as a reference. This new ruling impacts on the always tricky concept of fair use in a way that could further impact on the increasingly lively copyright debates around generative AI. Yes, indeed. And that is why we are talking about this big ruling in the US Supreme Court on this edition of Setlist, even though this isn't really a music case. I mean, okay, yes, it does have images of a pop star at the heart of the dispute, but really it's a visual art copyright case, but one that swung on that always tricky concept, as you say, of fair use. 
And fair use has always been a talking point within the music industry amongst the lawyers. But at the moment, it's becoming a bigger talking point because of all the conversations about generative AI. But before we get into the nitty gritty and the concepts and what fair use is and why this is relevant to the whole music making AI conversation, let's maybe go back through what this dispute was all about. It basically centers on this series of images that Andy Warhol created in the 1980s, taking a photograph that Lynn Goldsmith had taken of Prince as a reference point. And when Warhol first used Goldsmith's photo of Prince back in 1984 to create his first distinctive artwork, it was actually part of a commission for the magazine Vanity Fair. And the use of the photo as a reference point was licensed by the publisher of Vanity Fair, Condé Nast. And Goldsmith got a co-credit when the artwork was published in the magazine. So that was all fine. But... Subsequent to that, Warhol then created a number of different versions of his Prince artwork, which were collectively known as the Prince series. And it turns out, this all happened in the 1980s, remember, that Goldsmith did not know that these subsequent artworks had been created and did not know anything about any of it until 2016, when Prince died, and Condé Nast published a special magazine basically paying tribute to Prince. And for that magazine, for the cover of that magazine, they went to the Andy Warhol Foundation, which by that point was in charge of all of Andy Warhol's works and rights. And they licensed from the foundation a specific image from the Prince series, which is known as Orange Prince, to use on the cover. And it was at that point that this whole dispute kicked off. Yes, because the Andy Warhol Foundation had licensed the use of that artwork to Condé Nast for that 2016 magazine cover without Goldsmith's consent. So it was then that Goldsmith told the foundation that she believed that Warhol's print series and the licensing of an artwork from it to Condé Nast without her consent infringed the copyright in her original photo. It was then the foundation that went legal in the New York courts in 2017 to seek confirmation that Warhol's artworks constituted fair use under US copyright law and therefore did not infringe Goldsmith's copyright. Which brings us to the always fun concept of fair use, which we've definitely talked about before on Setlist, but not in quite a mm. while. So maybe let's talk about this a little <laughs> bit so you're able to follow this story. Now, all copyright systems around the world identify certain scenarios when copyright protected works like photographs or songs or recordings or whatever can be used without getting the permission of the copyright owner. And usually those scenarios, you can use the work without getting the copyright owner's permission because there's some sort of free speech reason why that's a good idea. So although the basic principle of copyright is if you own the copyright in a photo or a song or a recording or whatever, you have control over what happens to that piece of content. And if anyone else wants to do anything with the content, they have to get your permission. But as I say, there are these scenarios where actually you can make use of copyright protected work without getting permission. And given that copyright owners tend to charge you when you ask for permission to use their work, obviously, if there's an exception, well, that's quite a nice thing. So things like critical analysis or news reporting or quoting or parody, these are all scenarios which are quite often covered by specific copyright exceptions, although the exact list does differ from country to country. Then we have fair use, which is the similar concept in American copyright law. 
But under the US system, rather than having a specific list of exceptions set out in law, we have this more ambiguous and generally more wide-ranging concept of fair use. So American law says if your use of a copyright-protected work is fair use, then you can use it without the copyright owner's permission, which immediately poses the question, well, what the fuck is fair use? (laughs) And that's a question that gets asked a lot because generally in America, when anybody is accused of copyright infringement, the first thing they usually say is, oh, it was fair use, it's fine. And if that case then gets to court, there has to be a debate on what fair use means. Now, if the use matches one of the scenarios I've already mentioned where there would be a specific exception, In other copyright systems, then often there probably is a case for fair use. But it has to be said quite often when people say fair use, it's not fair use. If, like me, you watch a lot of YouTube content and YouTube creator content, any YouTube creator who uses other people's music or clips of of TV programs or movies or whatever in their videos will quite often say, actually sometimes in the video itself, or certainly in sort of, you know, the the copy that accompanies the video, I've used a load of copyright protected material, I didn't get anyone's permission, but it's fair use, they will say. And therefore, you can't do anything about it, you can't block my video, you can't monetize my content, you can't sue me, is basically what they're saying. Even though A, usually it's not fair use, and B, even if it is, that would technically only apply in the US and YouTube's a global platform. But that's another issue for another day. Let's focus specifically (laughs) on the fair use defence that was employed in this dispute between this photographer and the Andy Warhol Foundation. And what they said was that Andy Warhol's artworks that he had created based on this photograph of Prince were what is known as a transformative use. And a transformative use can be used as a fair use defence under US copyright law. So what the hell does that mean? (laughs) It's another ambiguous term that nobody really understands. Well, the US Copyright Office provides some guidance on fair use in general. And as part of that, it says transformative uses are more likely to be considered fair. And then it clarifies transformative uses are those that add something new with a further purpose or different character, and do not substitute for the original use of the work. Now, we should note that if you take somebody's photograph or or song or recording and you adapt it to create what we would call a derivative work, so for example, if you were to take a, a track and remix it, you do need the copyright owner's permission because the copyright owner has control over the adaptation of their work. And obviously, through that adaptation, you're actually creating a new copyright. But under the fair use concept, we have this thing of, well, what if it's a transformative use, in which case, maybe you don't need the permission of the original copyright owner. So we've got an ambiguous concept on top of an ambiguous concept. And I think you're probably unsurprised to hear that lots of copyright owners, like record companies and music publishers, really don't like all of this ambiguity because they feel that it tends to get abused. Now, initially... In this case, a judge in the New York courts decided that Warhol's use of Goldsmith's photo did qualify as fair use on that transformative use basis. And therefore, the foundation did not infringe Goldsmith's copyright by licensing the Warhol work to Condé Nast. However, the Second Circuit Appeals Court overturned that ruling in 2021, And the foundation then took the matter to the US Supreme Court 
arguing that the Second Circuit's interpretation of transformative use was wrong and also conflicted with rulings in the Ninth Circuit Appeals Court on the other side of the country. So those were the arguments that were presented by the Foundation to Supreme Court. But they didn't work. And earlier this month, the Supreme Court ruled in favour of Goldsmith. In its reporting on that judgment, the legal website Law360 noted that the court found that the Warhol Foundation's licensing of orange prints to Condé Nast didn't have a sufficiently different purpose as the photo taken by Goldsmith. Both were portraits of prints used in magazines to illustrate stories about prints, and therefore the transformative use fair use defence could not be used. In the actual judgment itself, one of the judges, Sonia Satomayor, wrote, as portraits of prints used to depict prints in magazine stories about prints, <laughs> the original photograph and Andy Warhol Foundation's copying use of it share substantially the same purpose. So pretty clear cut there. Although it was not a unanimous ruling, it was seven to two, in favour of Goldsmith, with two of the judges in the Supreme Court disagreeing strongly with that majority position and claiming that their colleagues had shown, quote, a lack of appreciation for the way Warhol's artworks differed from Goldsmith's original photo. But the majority position argued that too wide a definition of transformative use would swallow the copyright owner's exclusive right to prepare derivative works. And that was the decision that was carried forward. And it was a decision that has proven quite popular with most copyright owners in the US and especially the music industry because for most copyright owners and copyright companies like music companies, record companies, music publishers, any decision in the US courts that narrows the definition of fair use or at least stops the concept from being expanded is usually seen as a good decision given that copyright owners would always prefer to have control over the exploitation of their works including the creation of derivative works. And that is particularly true in the context of the never-ending, it seems, at the moment, conversations around generative AI, which is to say those AI tools and technologies which crunch data associated with existing content and then spit out new content, whether that is text or images or music or whatever. And when it comes to music-making AI... I think we've probably said this before, the music industry is adamant that anybody who uses data connected to existing songs and recordings to train a music-making AI tool definitely, definitely needs a license from whoever owns the copyright in the original music. But some might argue, not us, we would never argue against the music industry on this podcast. If the music industry says that training an AI tool with existing music needs a license, that's good for me. But I know some lawyers who represent tech companies. <laughs> right. And they would say, yeah, it's not that clear cut. And there are some people who feel that in some cases, when you're training an AI tool, maybe under the US system, there would be a fair use defense to doing that training without getting a license. And that question 
as to whether or not fair use has any relevance in the context of generative AI still is to be tested in the American courts. There is a case currently working its way through the system where Getty is suing one of the image creation AI technologies. So we probably will get some AI-specific test cases on this in the next few years. But it has to be said, in that context, any widening of the concept of transformative fair use in any copyright cases, including this one, would potentially have had a big impact on that debate to the detriment of the copyright owners. Yeah, so it's no surprise that, as you already said, the music industry was pleased with the ruling in this case at the Supreme Court in Washington The CEO of the Recording Industry Association of America, Mitch Glazier, said, We applaud the Supreme Court's considered and thoughtful decision that claims of transformative use cannot undermine the basic rights given to all creators under the Copyright Act. Lower courts have misconstrued fair use for too long, and we are grateful the Supreme Court has reaffirmed the core purposes of copyright. We hope those who have relied on distorted and now discredited claims of transformative use, such as those who use copyrighted works to train artificial intelligence systems without authorization, will revisit their practices in light of this important ruling. Meanwhile, National Music Publishers Association CEO David Israelite said in a statement... Today's Warhol fa- he said this on the day of the ruling. Just a bit of context there. Uh, today's Warhol Foundation decision is a massive victory for songwriters and music publishers. This is an important win that prevents an expansion of the fair use defense based on claims of transformative use. It allows songwriters and music publishers to better protect their works from unauthorized uses, something which will continue to be challenged in unprecedented ways in the AI era. I think this is the AI era. Are we in the AI era or is he predicting this next March? I don't know. He didn't clarify. Uh, Copyright owners, he continued, should have the right to make or approve decisions about new reimagined uses of their works. This decision enhances our ability to protect songwriters from increasingly broad claims from would-be infringers of fair use, strengthening creators' rights to determine how their art is exploited and valued. That said, not everyone agrees. So Recreate, which is an organisation that speaks on copyright issues for tech companies and other users of content, is keen to stress that a key element of the Prince artwork dispute was the licensing of that image to Condé Nast without Goldsmith's consent. And, according to Recreate's executive director, Joshua Lamel, the precedent set in the Supreme Court ruling is not necessarily as far-reaching as some copyright owners would like. So he said in a statement on this, all art and innovation build on work that came before, an endless cycle of recreating that pushes society and culture forward, allowing us to reflect on the past and aspire for the future. We are encouraged that the Supreme Court continues to recognise that fair use is critical to unlocking free expression for all. Specifically, he went on, the court did not rule on if Andy Warhol's transformative artworks were a fair use. Instead, they found only the specific act of the foundation then licensing them to a magazine in direct competition with the magazine photograph the art was based on was not a fair use. This shows that fair use is alive and thriving and that the Supreme Court takes a very thoughtful, fact-based approach to applying it as intended. Though given that the two dissenting judges in the Supreme Court itself didn't seem to think that that was happening, who knows? Maybe the ramifications of this judgment are not quite as wide and bold and clear as the music industry would like. 
But I think, nevertheless, definitely an interesting ruling on fair use and particularly this <laughs> weird to us outside of the US concept of the transformative use defense of fair use. Interesting ruling. And I think it does definitely have some influence on how the music industry is going to go about managing and enforcing and licensing its rights in the context of music making generative AI. We shall see. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. And finally, on this edition of Setlist, sticking with AI, Universal Music announced a new partnership with AI music company Endel last week. Now, if you don't know, Endel provides, and this is a direct quote from the company, personalised soundscapes to help you focus, relax and sleep, backed by neuroscience. Now, under this deal, Universal signed artists will collaborate with Endel and its technology to enable them to create, and here's another quote from the blurb about all this, science-backed soundscapes designed to enhance listeners' wellness, including both new music and new versions of catalogue music. Now, this was an interesting deal, hence why we're talking about it on set lists, because we don't usually talk about the endless deals of technology companies that <laughs> record companies and music publishers are constantly announcing. But this was an interesting deal because it touches on not one, but two topics that Universal Music has been quite opinionated about of late. The first being music making AI, which obviously, as we've just discussed, everyone in the music industry is obsessed about at the moment. And the other topic is what I am now referring to as functional audio. So on the former, on generative AI, as we've already said, the entire music industry is adamant that when people train AI tools using existing music, they must get permission to do that. They must get a license. And Universal in particular has been going around telling everybody that if they train AI with Universal controlled music without getting permission, well, they will do whatever they can to stop that from happening. And indeed, they have been reaching out to the streaming services, Spotify et al, insisting that those streaming services, first of all, must ensure that nobody is scraping music off those platforms in order to train an AI tool. And they've also been putting pressure on the streaming services to stop the distribution of any music that has clearly been created through an AI tool trained on unlicensed music. So these are all the sorts of things that Universal has been saying around the generative AI conversation in recent weeks and months. Meanwhile, in terms of functional audio, we talked about this on Setlist earlier in the year. 
Universal boss Lucian Grange has been very vocal indeed about the problem of things like mood music and background noise, like you know white noise and rainfall and birdsong, that is available on the streaming services and which gets an awful lot of streams because people are using it to help them relax or to help them sleep. And that content, that audio, is currently treated the exact same as all of your favorite pop music when it comes to services like Spotify allocating money every month to the copyright owners in the music industry. And of course, that money then gets shared with the record companies and the music distributors and the publishers and the collection societies, etc. And so Lucian Grange, as I'm sure you're all aware, has basically been saying it can't be right that this functional audio is being treated the same as all the great music that we're releasing. We need to change the way streaming works so that we get more money for our brilliant music and the people releasing white noise and rainfall get less. So generative AI, functional audio, Two things that Universal have been talking about a lot. And yet, here they are signing a deal with a generative AI company that is making basically functional audio. I mean, you know, okay, not white noise, not rainfall, but it is music that is predominantly being created to help people relax and sleep. Yeah, and perhaps with all that in mind, Universal was keen to stress that its partnership with Endil will always respect creators' rights and put artists at the centre of the creative process. And of course, you know, the music industry is keen to stress that it recognises the opportunities as well as threats that come with ever more sophisticated generative AI technologies. And Universal presumably sees what can be achieved alongside Endel as being one of the positives. Now, in terms of how it all works, Endel says that it uses artists provided stems to create soundscapes driven by scientific insights into how music affects our mind state. When crafting static albums, artists and their teams have the final sign-off on the results they prefer. These soundscapes, it goes on, provide artists and rights holders new opportunities to generate additional revenue from their catalogues while expanding and enhancing their work into new areas and moments in fans' lives while aspiring to support wellness for the listener. So basically, this is a generative AI tool that is very much working with artists and it's giving artists control. The artists are consenting. It's allowing artists to do more interesting stuff with their music. These are one of the good guys of generative AI, which is why Universal are working with them. They wouldn't work with one of the bad guys, even if there was a really big check on the table. No, there's no way Universal Music would take a big check and work with a company that was not acting in the interest of artists. That just would not happen. I'm sure we can all agree on that. As for the debate around functional audio, which is another thing that Lucian Grange and Universal have been a little bit critical of, and yet here they are collaborating with a company creating what is basically functional audio, I guess, well, there's two things here. Firstly, one of the proposals that Lucian Grange and actually now Rob Stringer the boss of Sony Music, Robert Kinkle, the boss of Warner Music, they basically all said the same thing in recent weeks, is that functional audio on the streaming services should be categorised differently and paid differently so that rainfall and white noise... It's actually rainfall they're all obsessed by for some reason, isn't it? I think it was yeah. because the boss of Deezer made that statement about how rainfall gets more streams than Lady Gaga. But anyway, what they're basically saying is that functional audio should be treated separately, paid differently, so it isn't taking ever-increasing chunks of the bigger 
pile of digital cash which is being shared out with the record companies. But if we were to do that, we being the music industry, not me and Andy, we have no control over this. I mean, if we did, it'd all be fine, but we don't. So if the industry decided to segment off functional audio in that way, well, with white noise and rainfall and that kind of content, that would be relatively easy to do. But when it comes to the sort of chill out ambient mood music that people use to relax or to go to sleep or whatever, well, that is music. (laughs) So where are we drawing the lines between saying, oh, this ambient chill out music is functional and this ambient chill out music is ambient chill out music. So it would be much harder to draw the lines. And obviously it's that kind of music that artists at Universal are going to be making with Endel. So maybe they're thinking, well, even if we carve out some of the functional audio from Spotify, so they're not taking big chunks of the money we want, we'll never be able to carve out the more ambient mood music. But if our artists were making the ambient mood music, then we could get that money anyway, so it wouldn't matter. So maybe that's part of the thinking. Or, second thing to say on this, maybe if consumers can be persuaded that when they want mood music, audio to help them relax or sleep, rather than getting that by starting up a relevant playlist on Spotify, if they were to install a specialist app, maybe an AI-powered app that's more personalised and cleverer, that would be a better experience. And although Endel does actually make a lot of the music that is created on its platform available through playlists on Spotify and Apple, etc., obviously it has its own app. And I guess if the industry could persuade people for functional audio to stop using Spotify and to start using specialised apps that then figure out some way to monetize, then we could help overcome this problem of the functional audio accounting for ever-increasing portions of the streaming happening on Spotify and therefore taking ever-increasing portions of the money. So there are potentially two reasons why this partnership with Endel does help meet Universal's concerns around functional audio, in addition to them being seemingly, I'm sure, definitely one of the good guys of generative AI. Now, this isn't the first time, actually, that Universal's worked with Endel. Previously, one of Universal's artists, James Blake, worked with the app to create his Wind Down soundscape, which was then released as an album last year, and of which he said, I think we've invented something not just beautiful or even meaningful, but truly practical. And that is quite a positive spin on AI-assisted music, isn't it? I think. It definitely is. If James Blake's happy, I'm happy. So all those people accusing Universal Music of being hypocritical with this deal in the context of the conversations around generative AI and functional audio. No, if James Blake says this is a good technology we should be working with, then we should be working with it. End of. I think that's the end of the debate. This has turned out to be something of an AI special edition uh, of Setlist this week, which wasn't entirely the plan anyway but uh, do you know earlier this week for reasons i'm not entirely sure of but it happened uh, i went back and listened to an edition of this very podcast from 2016 in which we discussed ai in music i mean i do know the reason i went back was because i saw that we'd done that and i wondered what we'd said and we were quite positive it was all very we we, we made some jokes about ai taking over towards the end of it but really, the whole discussion was quite positive. 
and talking about how it was going to be a great tool for creators. Uh, uh, and yeah, and we predicted that. I mean, actually, I, we fairly, I think we fairly well predicted this current phase of AI in music, although we said it was going to happen five years in the future, which obviously it didn't, although we couldn't have predicted the pandemic. So I guess that that's delayed things, hasn't it? We can, We're using I'll, I'll that say, as I'll an excuse, it, are we? That's, that's the caveat. Um, but yeah, that was interesting. I, maybe I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, Not like us to be positive about anything, really. <laughs> no, it was, so it was very strange. Maybe we were more positive in 2016. I don't know why. 2016 was rubbish. It was a very depressing year. Maybe we were trying to look for the silver lining in anything that was happening at that time. Or maybe we didn't oh, record God, that. Coming enslavement by robots. Well, maybe an AI has gone and meddled with that edition and changed what we said to make it positive. It wouldn't surprise maybe. me. Maybe. If that's not happening <laughs> behind the scenes. Okay, sure. Now All that right. Spotify what? have got a, an AI DJ introducing the records and I hear a rumour that they're going to make that available to their advertisers to have AI generated adverts. All the podcasts soon will be hosted by AIs and um, I'm sure they will tell you that AI is brilliant and there are no legal concerns at all. So uh, if that ever well. happens on this podcast again, I'm just telling you, it definitely means the machines have taken over. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll watch out for that then. Uh, but that's all we've got time for on this edition of Setlist. Do go and look at the show notes, which I already mentioned. But yeah, if you want to read anything more about anything we've discussed here, you will find the links in there. Those are in your podcast player or at setlistpodcast.com. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Rate and review the show if you haven't already. Email the show if you haven't already. I mean, don't all of you email it at once. That would be unmanageable. Some of you, and you can work out amongst yourselves who's going to do it, talk amongst yourselves first, and then a portion of you email setlist at unlimitedmedia.co.uk. Setlist is the music business podcast from CMU. It's presented by Andy Malt and Chris Cook. And for more on CMU, go to completemusicupdate.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh, oh! 
alright.